Dale, Chamberlain of All Ages, and Walter Payne Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, The Marketech Samuel Plan, The Devil's Advocate Shinobi, The Lunatic King Maverick, and Single Syllable Mother, The Right Side of the Pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you! Sub Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and we're back. Um, this week, of course, we're going to talk about some fallout for Elimination Chamber, uh, including some interesting news items that have come out, and a couple of, frankly, very strange episodes of TV, uh, amongst other things. So we did speculate last week, plan that uh, the road to WrestleMania is something that needs drastic surgery, if not a complete um, rethinking. And uh, I mean, my certainly my point of view coming out of um, the last three or four days is that, you know, they actually managed to book a, a very good road to WrestleMania pay-per-view, which kind of advanced various stories they need to advance which made me think maybe i was being too harsh and then they just booked two episodes of television that have nothing to do with anything uh dump a load of uh random nxt ton on it and uh forget that they're actually building to a wrestlemania at all so it's 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 a it's a kind of one step forward two steps back uh which is so familiar isn't it it is it's it's what happens it seems like it happens it, it seems like it's now at a point where it doesn't just happen across the span of a month. It doesn't just happen across the span of a week. It feels like it's happening with like every pay-per-view. feels like they take two steps, two st- one step forward, two steps back on pay-per-view. It feels like they take one step forward, two steps back every episode of television. And it just all, it, it gives the impression of a company that hasn't got any idea what it's doing frankly like just absolutely no sense of direction or long-term planning or or anything it's it's like they're they're panicked and i don't know if that's the case or not but that's how it you know that's how it watches uh and of course there was that news item that triggered me on twitter shortly before we started recording that i retweeted about you know and it's it's dubious as as are all these articles as to whether or not it rings true but if it is true uh, that Vince McMahon brought the NXT guys up because he looks at the roster and just sees a bunch of failed stars and people who are never going to be stars and they have to start from scratch with some new folks, which is just, I mean, I, I've actually sort of done all my ranting and venting to people off the, off, <laughs> off the recording, so I've kind of vented it all at this point um, and I think given myself a hernia while I was doing it, but um, it's... Uh, I was going to say concerning. It's not even concerning. I mean, it's it's now, I think, beyond debate who, and I use the word who deliberately, who the problem is with the company. Yeah, I think absolutely. I, it, it's it's really um, interesting to me that, that they are, uh, on the one hand, sort of, um, I know you're not such a big fan of this, but they're managing to sort of manipulate fan feeling um, about the Charlotte and Becky Lynch situation and, and kind of keep stoking that along. And then even if, you know, you, you know, you might argue the execution of it isn't um, as slick as it was with, say, Daniel Bryan, you know, they are at least treading a familiar path where they understand what, what the fans want is. And, um, 
you know, and they are, yeah, you know, at least going in that direction um, to sort of, you know, play off what the fans want and the Simicity hold it back a little bit. But then you have something like, um, you know, this, this sort of random insertion of NXT people uh, just after your actual active roster has actually put together a really good pay-per-view, including like a really good um, women's tag chamber and a, and a really good men's chamber and some other stuff that kind of just enhanced the show along. And then you just kind of go, all right, we're going to take the four of the biggest guys, if not the four biggest guys in NXT, and with no introduction, we're just going to put them in these sort of post wrestlemania raw squash matches really um with no kind of vignettes no build-up and essentially michael carl is going to read load of stats about them um while they wrestle and at the end of it everyone's going wow that was so impressive oh impressive and and it's just it's just kind of really puzzling um and it is a, a knee-jerk thing and it it seems like they are stuck in a little bit with this idea of TV ratings, but they didn't pre-announce that these NXT guys were going to be on the show. So it's a bit like, if you thought that would pop a rating, you would advertise it, wouldn't you? It's bizarre. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any penetrating the thought processes here at all. What's, what's become clear over the last two or three years, particularly is that this is a company now being run by, uh, it being run increasingly on momentary whims that almost seem to change hour by hour uh, to the point where, I mean, you know, you spent, I mean, the, the case in point is Roman Reigns here, isn't it? You spent, um, you spent what, five years uh, building and building and building towards crowning Roman Reigns as the man that offed Brock Lesnar and the, mo- and to the, to the detriment of so many others, so many other stars who were at the, Point of being coming a superstar if they got that big win over him and, and you didn't do it and you sacrificed all that to put all your eggs in the Roman Reigns basket the moment came at WrestleMania last year and you changed your mind on the day about what you were going to do and so suddenly you know four years I beg your pardon not five four years of uh, an, an overall direction gets torn up and thrown down the toilet on a whim and that I mean that's you know that's that's symbolic but it's it's far from the only instance I mean this is a a habit now that has plagued the entire roster. And if you are genuinely of the ludicrous opinion and the, the self-evidently incorrect opinion, if there ever has been one, then this is it. That the the main roster at the minute is full of you know failed stars and people who won't be stars. A generation of talent, by the way, that have succeeded in spite of the company and failed because of the company. Um if you are genuinely of that opinion, then like you say, Mav, on the one hand, how do you expect to pop TV ratings by doing something you haven't announced ahead of time? I mean, that's just common sense, right? Uh, but second of all, if you, if you want to start from scratch and build new stars by promoting people fresh from NXT, if you think that dumping four guys on an already overloaded roster with no direction or plan as to what they're actually going to be doing in, in a year's time or what role they're going to be playing on, on, this, on this roster in a year's time or two years time, three years time, you know, hell three months, I would settle for at this point, then they're doomed to, they're doomed before they've even gotten started. You know, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Ricochet, Alistair Black, their careers are WWE are, are in the bin before they've even gotten going because 
you've introduced them at a time when they're not needed. They they clutter up the roster. You're clearly going to forget about them in three weeks when your mood changes uh, and you wake up on the right side of bed. Uh, and and so you you you're you're just perpetuating, uh, you know, the 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 negative aspects of this situation, and it's infinitely uh, frustrating. Having said that, you know, I mean, it may be that they have a plan, and we just don't know what it is. But even if they do, it hasn't exactly gotten off to a particularly auspicious start by throwing these guys on the main roster at a point in which they're absolutely not needed. And by the way putting them on the main roster and then saying, no, oh, but you're exempt from the brand extension. You know, I, like, <laughs> you've done the brand <laughs> extension and now you're in a position where you're introducing guys and they're not even on a brand, but you're at the same time, you're advertising some international superstar shakeup. You know, where we are now in the company is where we were at the beginning of 2011, except for this time, there may not be a CM Punk waiting in the wings to drop a pipe bomb and shake up the status quo. And that's very, very concerning. I think the other thing to say is that they put these, you know, these four people who have like substantial history or all of them have history with each other. Um, some of the, you know, uh, some of the more interesting shared universe stuff um, to be found in WWE, you know, given that, that, that Dean Ambrose is, is on his way out, etc., and, and, in, and instead of actually sort of playing off the fact that the revival and DIY um, had one of the greatest tag feuds in history, and I don't think that's hyperbole, um, uh, you know, that should be a huge deal. DIY even tagging together should be a huge deal. Mm. Um, and instead, they presented DIY as baby faces on the commentary while Champa and Gargano were doing their heel shtick in the ring against Revival, who were also doing their heel shtick in the ring, they wrestled the most watered-down version of a DIY Revival match you're ever likely to see. And the ending of it, it was just weird. It was it was just kind of, you know... And then hearing Michael Cole, like, call out their finisher as super kick knee... <laughs> It's just like, what the hell is that about? And and you've got this crowd who, I don't know where they found this crowd, but the most dead crowd you've ever seen anywhere. And, and the whole thing just took on um, an aspect of being completely surreal. And then they go to SmackDown. They put them up against the bar. Um, and the bar do this tried and tested, lamentably tried and you know, tested to fail nonsense of, oh, look at these indie guys, aren't they small? Um, and then they have Champa, like, pin, um, I can't remember, the, I can't remember the, there is Seamus or Cesaro, with a roll-up. And then they, so they basically, they, they worked as babyface on one show, and, and then as sort of semi-heels on the other show, getting a cheap win against the bar, while the bar were also working as heels. So none of that made any sense. The ricochet thing, for what it's worth, made a bit more sense. Like, oh, here, I'm going to turn up. I'm going to support Finn Balor. I'm going to wrestle a match with him. We're going to put each other over afterwards. Um, and then, you know, you know, if ricochet sort of comes in and out of various brands, I don't mind that so much. That kind of seems to fit his character. But then Black has just basically just wrestled a squash match against Elias. And then again... To do 
Cien or sorry Andrade against um against Black with no notice, no hype. Um, just the sort of barest mention of the fact that they they wrestled in New Orleans for the NXT title in a tremendous match. Um, and just and then just have sort of after all the work they did the last few weeks as well, like putting Andrade over Rey Mysterio a couple of times, then to just job him out to Black. Like you say, it strikes you as um. Literally, they had no idea what to do with this far until WrestleMania. They had a pay-per-view. It went well. But it's almost if they froze and were like, oh, we have nothing now. We All right, we're going to have Kofi Kingston, you know, win this sort of, you know, weird tag team match where the person that pins the person gets to be in the title match. I've never quite understood that because surely you just keep breaking up the pin, wouldn't you? So it was you that pinned them. Um but anyway, that side. Um, well, I mean, that that right there, that that very sentence, <laughs> that observation is a, a microcosm of the entire issue. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, on my walk to work, uh, and uh, uh, thinking about because it's been something I've been doing um, away from LRP over the re- over recent weeks. Thinking about world building, you know, I've been watching through uh, the Game of Thrones TV show in preparation for the new. Uh, series coming out which in turn has sort of sparked some creativity in me and whatnot and and uh, I was watching sort of YouTube videos of George R.R. R. Martin and stuff and, and reading up about it and world building obviously being the exercise of creating a fictional world in which there are there is a, a sense of logic and a series of rules that you abide by to help make the story that you're telling uh, you know feel tangible even on an unconscious level so that readers enjoy it or, or get a kick out of it and WWE is, in essence, one giant exercise in world building. Um, but they don't they don't have there's no logic to anything. There's no clear set of rules. Everything operates differently every week, depending on the creative license that Vince McMahon wants to take uh, with the scripts that week. So Kofi Kingston, you know, earned a WWE title shot by pinning someone in a six man tag team match where the winner of, of who is, you know, whoever gets the winning pinfall earns the title shot but nobody interrupts any pins, so therefore, presumably, they don't all want a title. I mean, it's just indicative of how... And, and again, it's... I mean, it's such a... There's so many issues at this point. It's like a spider's web, but, um, you know, that that sense of there's absolutely no... And it's not even an issue of continuity with characters, just continuity in general. Nothing makes any sense week to week because there's no... Course, there's no logic at the core of this world that they've created, where there are commissioners and general managers who aren't really, you know, in charge. And then Finley can decide who enters a Royal Rumble because he happens to be out there. And then Vince McMahon turns up and can override Triple H and Stephanie's decision, even though Triple H and Stephanie are there every week and are the authority. But then they say the fans are the authority, but the fans aren't really the authority. You know, there's no. There's absolutely no sense of, of logic. You know, you've got this brand extension, but we've got a women's tag team division that can cross brands, even though the singles women's division can't cross brands, even though you've got two SmackDown stars chasing the Raw Women's Championship on Monday Night Raw. And then you've got, you know, these four NXT guys who've just come up and they can cross brands, but no one else can cross brands apart from those other NXT guys who came up several weeks ago. And they can seemingly cross brands, but no one really knows if they can or they can't. You know, and so when when he gets this because nothing you know doesn't mean anything nothing makes sense you don't know next week that they're just going to rewrite the rule book yet again and completely render everything that you think you know 
inert, you know, and, and case in point, you know, Rollins wins the Royal Rumble and comes out the next night on Raw and says, I'm going to have to take some time to think about which champion I, I, I want to wrestle. And then because it suited the scripts that week, they had Triple H come out and say, oh, actually, you've got to decide tonight, which has never really been a thing before. And the only reason you get for that being a thing is because things move quickly in WWE, which isn't really a reason at all, you know, and so it's 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 just shit writing. It's mm. unbelievably shit writing. Well, there's a tweet here from one of the ex uh, WWE writers um, that that I found. Um, he says uh, a guy called Andrew Goldstein. He said uh, tonight's Raw is a glaring example of Vince breaking his own rules. He used to tell our creative team twelve years ago, "Don't tell me facts, tell me a story." Well, those intros read by Cole and Ice Cold debuts had absolutely no story at all. Just facts. Just fucking lazy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all lazy. I remember, I can't remember, might have been on Chris Jericho's podcast or something, but I remember Batista being on, on a podcast sometime after he'd done his stint in uh, 2014. And obviously Batista is someone who hasn't been shy about um, sort of saying how he's completely sort of critical of the way WWE do things now. And I remember him saying at one point that it's because they've, they've stripped all the art out of it, um, which I, you know, it's something I really admire. And it's one of many reasons why I've, I've always preferred Batista to John Cena. Um, but I remember him being on, it might've been Jericho's podcast or someone's, and he was talking about uh, WrestleMania 20 and he was at uh, 30 and he was talking about how they, you know, they, they went to extreme lengths uh, at WrestleMania 30 to get Daniel Bryan over, quote unquote, you know, they had, you know, he wrestled twice and Triple H injured his shoulder and then he was being stretched out in the main event. He got put through a table and all this, st- you know, he went through the wars. Uh, and then Batista was sort of saying it was ridiculous then for Daniel Bryan to come out the next night, completely fine, you know, not really selling the, the events of the preceding night. And when he sort of raised this concern, Vince told him that, that you know, the fans aren't going to care and we can just have, we could just take creative license and it doesn't matter. Um, and on the one hand, Vince is probably right. I don't think the fans really did care. But just because you can get away with it doesn't mean that you should be doing it. You know, And that's how you start to water down the writing to the point where exactly what we're saying, it's lazy, like the, the writer you point out there said. Uh, and it's and there's no continuity or, or logic to it. So it's it's... You know, it's symptomatic. And again, it all comes back to Vince. You know, if Vince is the one saying, look, the fans aren't going to care, so we don't need to bother. Like, what kind of a philosophy is that? Well, it's interesting. I, You know, I, I've been watching a lot of the um, the, the Bruce Pritchard um, podcasts on the network over the last, you know, couple of weeks. Um, and they're really interesting for getting a sense of what, what the creative process was like behind the scenes in the 90s in particular and sort of comparing that to today and what really comes out strongly is that they had they had plenty of shit ideas in those days but because there were like two or three of them in a room writing this stuff they could weed out bad ideas or if they'd run a bad idea they'd be like okay we're stuck with it but for internal logic's sake let's write it out um and so they were talking about um mabel in in 1995 and you know pritchard says like all right hold my hand up that was my idea Kevin Nash was a champion, big baby face. We wanted a big heel challenger. We always used to go back to Vince always used to say, what would we have done if it was Hulk? And because that worked for so long. And so they were like, right, big heel challenger for Kevin Nash. And obviously it didn't work. And of course, the Mabel experiment was over fairly quickly, but they rode it out to the logical storyline conclusion. 
Um, and then they were also talking um, about how, you know, when Russo first came on board, essentially the, the, the writing committee, if there was such a thing, was basically um, Vince, Pritchard, um, Jim Cornette, and then kind of Russo came on board as well. And so you've basically got very different perspectives on what pro wrestling is in the same in the same room, like people that have been in the business since they were like, you know, nine or 10 years old and, a you know, sort of upstart magazine editor and, you know, the guy that owns the company. And essentially between them, you know, they, they were they were writing these episodes of Raw. Now, you compare that to today where I don't know how many writers they have. Um, but I assume it's quite a, I assume it's quite a big writing staff um, overseen by you know i guess smackdown is, is is road dog i can't remember who's who who raw is at the moment um but you know you you just can't get this sense that they are under so much um pressure to, to deliver something and then when it actually comes around you know vince is just making so many changes to it that, that any type of internal logic just completely disappears and you know, there was, uh, I think if you listen to all the stories about Vince from down the years, it's obvious that he's always had this very changeable nature. Like they tell a story about um, how uh, Pat Patterson and Pritchard were going into bat for Shawn Michaels to turn face um, in 95. And they were saying, look, this, he could be our face champion. And Vince is like, you know, God damn, I don't want to ever hear about Shawn Michaels as a baby face ever again. That son of a bitch. No one's going to cheer for him. Anyway, <laughs> WrestleMania, <laughs> WrestleMania comes around, right? Obviously, he works this match against Kevin Nash. And the night afterwards, apparently, he summons Patterson and Pritchard. He's like, am I the only one that can see this? Shawn Michaels is the baby face. Why didn't you two guys notice this? <laughs> and then they had to like rewrite the whole of the TV that had planned for like you know the sort of spring of '95 because suddenly they were having to turn short face. Well, so it, it's it is it's obviously he always had these tendencies to being really changeable, but it seems that age has magnified that now to the point where it, it's completely unmanageable. Well, either that or he's just got nobody around him, you know, standing up to him enough. Well, I think I mean that story I've I've actually heard heard that one in the past and um it's it's such a funny thing because you know on the one hand <laughs> he wasn't wrong I mean, <laughs> no, no one did cheer Shawn michaels really no one liked it but um the reason for that was because i mean i've been watching for book research I've, i'm still watching through all the monday night raws in 1996 uh, and i'm around SummerSlam time now and what's clear from the minute they turned Shawn Michaels' babyface, I think when you go back and watch it, two things are clear. First is that he never seemed very comfortable in, in his own skin at that point as a babyface. No, he, he actually, like he was, yeah, they actually said that he hated the idea. He didn't want to turn yeah. face. He thought it would blow his career up. And you can tell, you know, you can tell through his performances and stuff. Because um, it feels all kind of like forced and, and heavy handed. And, and it's like he doesn't really know how to be endearing. Um, but the other thing is as well. You know, to be fair to Sean, they were so over the top with it and so heavy handed with it. And this is the other issue is that Vince has absolutely and this has always been the case since Hulk Hogan, um, since after Hulk Hogan. Vince has absolutely no idea. And it's proven time and time again through the product how to write 
um, an underdog hero well, or seemingly how to promote an underdog hero for a, a prolonged period of time. Because I genuinely don't think he, he gets it. I mean, this is you know he's a bodybuilder in his own right. He's obsessed, as the cliche goes, with with you know guys who are giants and guys who are huge and stuff. Uh, and you know, I've, I've always said that the you know the most convincing, and again, this all comes back to the fact that it's poor writing because the most convincing and and the most uh, intriguing heroes and the heroes you empathise with the most in film or in literature or in any kind of fiction are the underdog ones, the ones who are flawed, the ones who have to overcome some some kind of odds, you know, and not someone who is seven foot tall and, and has to overcome the odds because he's faced with a 500 pound beer moth, but someone you can relate to, you know, that's why Daniel Bryan was popular. That's why Austin hit his stride. That's why Bret Hart was so effective as a babyface because they knew how to do it. Um, and, and ultimately you go, well, you know, what exactly qualifies Vince McMahon uh, to, as a, as a writer, he, you know, he's, he, he's, first of all, he's a bad writer. We've seen that time and again through the television, but it's like, he's never, you know, he's never written a, a book. He's never written a screenplay. He he doesn't. He's never wrestled. Like, why exactly? Other than being, you know, the guy who owns the company, what exactly qualifies him to be making these creative decisions? And I think when you start to go back through the past, you actually find a trend emerge that whenever he has been hands-on with a particular creative idea, it's been a mess or it's not succeeded. And, and the the biggest ideas, the biggest successes in WWE's history are those that have either been influenced by the people who have wrestled, who've been around him or by the performers themselves, you know, and that trend isn't a coincidence. I mean, even in recent years, you know, Daniel Bryan was the, has said that he was the one who would regularly say during that span between 2013 and 14, that he would have to, you know, he would be the one to say, I need to get beaten up a bit more this week, or I need to, you know, really lay it on thick again this week and stuff. And look where that took him, you know, and that was largely because of Bryan's creative, Input. You think about the pipe bomb promo in 20, 2011. They gave CM Punk an open mic, so the legend goes. You think about, I mean, WrestleMania 31, the cash-in. Turns out it was Seth Rollins' idea. You know, DX was was the idea of Sean and Triple H. New Day was was because they were allowed to go out and be themselves. You know, the, the, and then you think about the, the flip side. While the world was so obviously crying out for Daniel Bryan to headline WrestleMania 30, Vince was going, no, 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 what the people want is Batista. You know, and, and you you go all the way back, you know, Lex Luger, as far back as Lex Luger in 1993. It's, it's just, I mean, it's, it is so at this point obvious, as you say, Mav, that any historical issues that have always been there with Vince are either no longer reined in or have become so bad that he's just overriding people regardless. And, you know, as, as we were discussing on Twitter earlier, and as the famous phrase go, Rome burned while Nero fiddled, you know, and, and it's, you know, this is a company now that watches like it doesn't know what it's doing, that it has no long-term uh, plan for the future, which makes you wonder whether whether it's got a future, uh, and continues to make money in spite of itself. And instead of actually being able to step back and say, maybe I'm the problem, or maybe the writing is the problem, or maybe the problem is the material we're giving these guys, maybe the problem is the creative environment and culture we've nurtured over the last 10 years, because the rate into decline goes all the way back to like 2006, I think. Goes all the way back to 2001. This is not an an overnight thing. This is a downward trend that's been happening for decades. Uh, And it's because the culture's changed, you know, and it's not because, for the love of fuck, it's not because the guys don't want to be stars and they're not capable of being stars. Like, piss off with that shit. I think it comes back to what we talked about before on the show um, and what I wrote a column on a, a few weeks ago, which is 
control essentially and I, I think you know the examples that you cited um like brian and, and punk um particularly in modern times of being able to to have some measure of creative control over their characters like this daniel bryan run at the moment for example it's all daniel bryan i mean you can see yep. that, that, it, that it is um and the problem is is that not enough uh, performers are given that trust to go out and you know and and well to ply the craft that they've worked their lives for and instead we've talked about it being overwritten about the writing being bad um and about there being baffling changes of creative direction um all the time which is gonna which is gonna hamper people and i think you know what really stood out to me about the pay-per-view um was that it was by far the most logical storyline advancing show I felt that they'd done in a really, really long time. It was almost strangely elegant, you know. It was kind of, you know, they told a nice story with, uh, you know, with Sasha and Bailey kind of, you know, being the kind of kids that live their dream. It was a little bit saccharine, but, you know, I can cope with that. Um, you know, you, you enhance the whole... Uh, you know, Becky, Charlotte, Ronda angle. I mean, it was a fairly, you know, neat segment. Didn't take very long. Um, it was that it lived up to that kind of rule that you have that stuff on a pay-per-view that isn't that interesting. You could just, you know, let's just burn through it. So, you know, the matches that, that didn't have much of a bearing were uh, over fairly quickly. You know, they, they found uh, a way to make the Strowman Corbin thing more interesting than it should have been. And the men's chamber, they had a bit of a, you know, Cinderella story, but still had the right outcome in, in the Brian retained and this presumably will go on to WrestleMania and defend that title. And you, you get to the end of that show. And also I noticed just little things that I, that I appreciate, like they blacked out the crowd for most of the show. Well, you know, just that, that, I didn't that, that, that pay-per-view atmosphere we talked about, about it being too overproduced and, you know, high def. Because, I guess it's because of the chambers, like the crowds were sort of, in lower lighting and it made so much difference it's so strange it was just a small thing like that can make a difference so so you come out of that show and you think right they've got what two weeks till fast lane i'm sure they can you know they'll be able to you know hash up some challenge of the month title defenses and then all right we're on the road to wrestlemania and 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 whatever will be will be as far as wrestlemania is concerned and, uh, you know, you just kind of think, right, all they need to do is stay true to the principles of this, you know, so-called new era, um, you know, book matches that people care about, you know, do some high stake stuff like title defences on TV and don't get in your own way. And instead, Triple H comes out, botches his opening promo, brings out all this, these NXT people and, and what we've talked about um, ends up happening. Uh, all meanwhile, by the way, the Rollins Lesnar feud um, goes back to the same nonsense as every other Brock Lesnar feud, which is Paul Heyman listing uh, his client's achievements and how you know this person sent up against him has no chance, and and it's a bit like oh how to take the wind out of that one. So it was, I think, a massive step backwards, um, and. You know, I think there's a there's a reason why people got fed up with TV. You know, it was a real 
tipping point, wasn't it? That October, November time, you know, people were done, like more so than usual, like because wrestling fans say they're done a lot. But, you know, you could see just from our own community how many people were dropping out. Um, and so they, they went with this thing. Here we are. We're going to give chances to do talent. But now it's almost gone. We're going to give chances to more talent than we have opportunities for. And, and so and also what you do, if you bring up those four people in XT, and if that is a permanent arrangement, well, first of all, they don't even have an exit strategy because they're both the top two. They're the top two champions on the brand. So what do you do with that? I know they did it with Kevin Owens and Paige, but that was a long time ago and a very different NXT. Um, and then you're basically, again, leaving NXT kind of stripped of its higher card wrestlers and then suddenly you've got to sort of, you know, chuck a load of people up to those spots that maybe aren't ready for them yet. And the whole thing, you know, just just kind of collapses in on itself again. Yeah. Um, the, the it's I mean, there is so many problems. The entire company, the entire promotion needs to be stripped down and and rebuilt at this point it feels like because it's it's a bit like you know when you get yourself in in some kind of a, of a problem and the more you try and, and find a fix for it the worse it gets and the more convoluted it gets instead of just drawing a line under it and starting from scratch and you know it's you and i said this back in the summer of 2016 i will never stop saying i told you so we said at the time, brand extension, absolutely awful idea. It will see the company regress like you wouldn't believe. And that's exactly what's happened uh, gradually over the course of the last few years. And worse now than it – the company right now is worse than it's ever been since the end of 2010 and the beginning of 2011. And I think we, people forget how bad the company was at the end of 2010 and the beginning of 2011. Uh, and this time it doesn't look like there's anything on the near horizon ready to shake things up. Like I said, that's, that's the, that's the depressing thing. And they've got this, cause here's another thing, right? I was thinking about this again, if it's true, if, if they're sat there bringing NXT guys on because they're looking at the main roster now and going, Oh, all of these people are failed stars and they're never going to be stars. Why are you employing them then? Why are they on the show? Why are they in your company? You know, because if you don't think they're worth anything, why are they there? Why do you keep throwing Baron Corbin out on television? Why do you keep putting him in? How the hell that man continues to get into TV main events and pay-per-view semi-main events week after week, month after month, despite the fact that he was at the front and center of when TV became really shit baffles me completely. Um, but, but, you know, not to be fair to, to Baron Corbin, you know, Point being, if they're so convinced that this roster is laden down with the dead weight, cut the dead weight, get rid of it all. You know, But you're not going to do that because you're worried they're going to go elsewhere. And the only reason you would be worried that they're going to go elsewhere is because really you know that they probably can be a bit of a success. You know, Because Cody Rhodes, need, need we remind anyone, was a member of a generation of talent that we were told and that they were told repeatedly by guys like Vince McMahon, you, you're not hungry enough. You don't want to grab the brass ring. You don't have what it takes to be a star like, like The Undertaker and Triple H. You can't connect with the crowd. 
And look what he's gone and done when he's been freed of WWE. He has contributed to cre- to getting the the sort of the 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 world of professional wrestling outside of WWE to its most popular point. That now WWE faces its biggest competition this side of, of Ted Turner and WCW closing in 2001, and he's done it without the deep pockets. He's done it without buying a ready-made pro wrestling promotion already. He's done it without any of the kind of the handicaps that may have been there in the early 90s or late 80s for for for, for Ted Turner. You know, he's done it from scratch with the Young Bucks, with Kenny Omega, with Hangman Page, with the Elite. You know, because he went out there and he became a huge success. And the stuff that the current generation have done, I've said it on the show before, I will continue to say it, you know, the success they've met fighting this ludicrous system that they've been a part of indicates that without the system, they'd be, they'd be, you know, they'd be light years ahead of where they are and probably light years ahead of previous generations. This is the most talented roster of talent that I can remember ever seeing as, as a lifelong WWE fan. Uh, and instead of, of saying, OK, maybe it's this culture that I'm making these people compete in, Mitch Manstead says, no, no, it's all their fault. They're the failures. And I can't believe that my company that I've built from the ground up because I'm a creative genius uh, is being killed by all of these people who don't have what it takes to be stars anymore. And I think, you know, again, going back um to the idea of, uh, you know, to the idea of control, it's it's a bit like. He can't let go of this idea that he can't trust these top guys of the newer generations to headline his biggest show. So even this week, you know, it comes out. I mean, again, it's a dirt cheap rumor. It may or may not be true, but it is WrestleMania. So you tend to think the worst that Daniel Bryan is going to defend against someone that's coming back, not against you know, Kofi Kingston, or a, or a Mustafa Ali, or or a Samoa Joe, or anyone else on on that SmackDown roster who, that's worked for you know worked for this opportunity for a for a year. And bear in mind that you know the the, the SmackDown World Title is not going to be the last match on the show. So you know you don't have to pop it really, even if you feel like even if you feel like it does need some more pop, you don't have to because it's not the marquee. It's not the marquee match. And as you and I have said many times on the show in the past, WrestleMania sells itself anyway. You could put Mojo yeah. Rawley in that match and WrestleMania would sell out. Well, I mean, this is it. I mean, the, uh, yeah. I mean, I've made that argument many times. And But anyway, here, here we are in the situation where they're saying, Daniel Bryan, oh, well, we might put him up against Kurt Angle. Now, if this was 2006 or seven. Uh, you know, when Bryan was hot on the indie circuit, and by the way, WWE wanted nothing to do with him. Um because indie stars weren't good enough, you know, it was still during that era when they were busy promoting, you know, bloody who knows out of their developmental system. Like, it's this horrible wasteland, you know, from from Cena and Batista until they signed Punk. There's basically nothing that comes out of that system that's worthwhile. Um, and, 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 you know, you... Bobby Lashley. <laughs> I mean, good God. So, so, you, so you've got, like... Bright, this idea of Brian versus Angle, and Angle clearly is you know, he done. one of the best ever, but obviously he's done. Undertaker, I mean, when I read Undertaker, like I just honestly had to laugh at myself because, yes, again, that Saudi Arabia nonsense showed conclusively that you know he's got the movement of an 85 year old man at this point. And I think I dare say he realizes that he's obviously doing this Starcast 2 thing. 
difficult for me to believe he's doing that if he's still intending on being an active yeah. performer in WWE. Absolutely, and and then and then of course they they're saying Batista. I would think that they probably burned that bridge in the sense that you know, um, they they would have to pay him so much, and I I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Um, and he's been in talks with AEW as well. But what it, what but what it makes me think is that if, if you know you you can kind of go through the options and it, and you just think okay so it probably will be Kurt Angle because he's only one of those that's you know currently active with the company in some way. Um, and it's just it, that's so depressing because you think all right I can for, we said this a few weeks ago I can forgive Brock Lesnar in the main event if Seth Rollins wins. I can forgive Shaitmar versus Miz if it's sure and it doesn't bother me too much. Um, and if the rest of the show is filled with, with you know, inverted commas, new era opportunities for the likes of Finn Balor getting a signature IC title defence, the Revival getting to have a tag team classic with somebody, um, you know, a, a showcase of some sort for, for younger talent, even if it was a ladder match. You know, then you would be all right with WrestleMania. But if if it's Kurt Angle v Daniel Bryan for one title, Lesnar versus Rollins for the other, I mean, it, you know, then you you know, then you got Shane and Miz. Um, Rousey's obviously in the the Raw Women's Title scene. You're in a situation where it's looking like Asuka's gonna be on the pre-show against fucking Lacey Evans at this stage. Um, and it's suddenly you're just back to hating WrestleMania, hating the idea of WrestleMania and just looking forward on the calendar to extreme rules or whatever the next one is after WrestleMania, because you can't cope with what they've made WrestleMania. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Lace, you mentioned Lacey Evans there. We were talking about lazy writing. Does it get any lazy? Then we're going to push Lacey Evans by having a walk out and what's she going to do? Nothing. We're just gonna have a walk out like that. What is that? That's not even an idea. No, that's exactly. Not anything you know that that doesn't tell me who she is. Doesn't tell me anything about the character. You know that's not that's not a thing. Well, and I tried you, to get her over by bringing her out of the rumble. And the thing is, right? So NXT, right? She's basically female John Cena, right? So she's walking around in army uniform. Hi, I was in the army for some time, and now I am a wrestler. Uh, all right, okay, fine. And then, of course, it's kind of like half Cena, half Lex Luger. It was bizarre anyway. Um, and then they bring her into the Rumble and try and get her over as a heel by having her come out number one. Or was it number two? I don't remember. Uh, number one, I think. Yeah. And she comes out. She cuts this bizarre promo about people being nasties. Tries to get, so they try to get over a phrase that no one's ever heard before. Um, it's probably one of Vince's. And... And then ever since, it's like, well, then they, they said she was coming up to Raw or SmackDown. They, they spent ages deciding which one it was going to be. She's barely been on TV. When she is there, she just walks out in 50s clothes and then walks back again. Like, what are you what are you trying to achieve uh, by that? And then it's, it's, you know, like I was struck the other week as well when they had Charlotte cut this promo um, to Becky about her friend Ken. And it turned out she was referring to a kendo stick. But no one understood what she was on about. So she's cutting this promo. And everyone's looking around going, Ken, Ken. And then she goes, oh, you know Ken. And everyone's like, no, we don't know Ken. <laughs> it's just, it was horrible. And it's, it's, it's just, it's just late. Yeah, bad and lazy writing time and time again in, in all of the divisions. Um, and then you've got this thing I was moaning to you about the other day. 
which is um, wrestlers having to take to Twitter to enhance their storylines because the company aren't enhancing them for them. And so you've got, obviously, like the biggest example at the moment is Becky Lynch, who's doing it pretty much 24-7. But you've got others doing it as well. You know, so I've noticed Charlotte doing it. I've noticed um, Seth Rollins doing it. I've noticed you know, a load of them doing it. And I just think the best wrestler attitude to Twitter was the Dean Ambrose one, which is to do a bio that says, they made me make one of these. Are you happy now? And leave it there and never post. <laughs> so, so like, you know, um, yeah, the, the whole thing is, it is just, I think, I think a big mess. And it's like, well, you, you can be optimistic in times when, they put together a good episode or two. And I have to say like that period from just before Christmas until, um, I mean, to be fair, really up until the week after the rumble, you'd have to say it was a very good stretch. And then since it's been up and down, SmackDown more, SmackDown more up than raw. Um, but then this week it was just, it was really good pay-per-view. Uh, and then shockingly bad television. Well, as we record, there's an article that's appeared on LOP about the original plans for Ricochet on on, uh, Monday's Raw, as well as several backstage notes. I'll read you some parts of this because it it just goes to show everything that we've just been talking about really tonight. Um, Which apparently the Vince McMahon reportedly went into Monday's Raw wanting great wrestlers putting on solid in-ring work, which could have been a response to AEW or the ratings or a number of issues. This is the reason for the appearances from WWE NXT. Vince is said to be not that high up on NXT or maybe just not as familiar with the brand, but he wanted the best guys from the brand and that's what he got. And the article goes on to say uh, that uh, Triple H didn't know about the call-ups before anybody else did uh, and that um, this idea was reportedly decided on last week. Um, However, regarding Balor versus Ricochet not happening, which apparently was originally the plan. That was a Triple H call. He got the match pulled with the idea being that they could go out and have an incredible match, uh, which is why it was booked in the first place. So the only reason that that gets booked is because Vince thinks, oh, they'll have a great match, which, you know, first of all, is is the worst kind of short-termism. But Triple H felt doing a babyface versus babyface match would create issues as Balor just won the title on Sunday and because they didn't want to defeat Ricochet in his debut. So they're obviously aware of ridiculousness behind this idea. There were no plans for Ricochet and Balor to feud. Officials just wanted them to have a hot match. Triple H got the match changed to Ricochet and Balor versus Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush, which also didn't make much sense because Lashley was turned on Rush following the title loss of Balor at Elimination Chamber on Sunday. Triple H just felt like doing Balor versus Ricochet was the wrong thing to do and the wrong way to introduce a new babyface. Apparently, the tag team match was already scripted, as was Black versus uh, Elias. Uh, and... So the, the story here says that the, the original show was built around Rollins, but when he couldn't get cleared to compete, Vince reportedly got to Raw in Lafayette around 2 p.m. on Monday, and the show was then rewritten. The final Raw script was reportedly not, was reportedly not completed until 30 minutes before showtime, and officials were still making changes during the show, um, including, uh, it says here, uh, originally having had Ronda Rousey versus Alexa Bliss booked to be a quick squash match on Raw. <laughs> Officials needed more time out of Rousey's match due to Rollins-related rewrites, but there was a feeling Rousey versus Bliss would not have been as good as long as a long match. 
So I mean, it's it's you know I mean that alone, you've got so many issues there, haven't you? The yeah. idea that if, if if any of that rings true, the idea that they're bringing people on just because they want someone to have a hot match, and it's like if you if if you've got fifty wrestlers on Raw and you don't think that any combination of those two can have a hot match, you clearly haven't been paying attention to what these guys have been doing on your own show. Because if there's one thing that roster can boast, it's that they're all pretty much all capable of putting on good matches at the very least. The second is you've then got competing heads saying, no, we need to rewrite this because I don't like the fact that we're going to be introducing someone this way. And, it, you know, we can't have them lose, but we can't have him lose. So then instead of going, why are we even considering this? They then rewrite something else so that that other angle doesn't really make any sense and has no leg room. And then you've got rewrites happening during the show. I mean, the whole thing is is just arse over tit. It's, it's a company with... With, I mean, the stories we hear now are the same kind of stories WWE have peddled for years about how WCW is being run in its in its final years. Well, it, it, what's the thing that stands out to you about about that? Three hours. Yes. They they went into panic because Seth Rollins couldn't go because they got three hours to fill. How do you fill three hours? We need a hot match like that. That is exactly. The, the problem now, I was thinking about this again today and, and in conversations I've had with various people about, you know, um, mid to late 90s uh, WCW um, using the Cruiserweight division to, to, oh. to basically prop up um, the first hour of Nitro. And, you know, like, that's what you should do with 205 Live. It should be the first hour of Raw. Um, it's kind of like, you know, a show within a show. Um, you get hot matches, right? For sure, you do. Like more so than any other brands, I'd say. Um, yep. And then you you get two hours of Raw, which then is level with SmackDown in terms of you know content time. And SmackDown has managed to maintain a, a better quality standard than Raw, chiefly because it is two hours long. Um, and you wouldn't have had this problem of running around like a headless chicken because Seth Rollins couldn't wrestle. As if Seth Rollins is your only wrestler. Well, that's what I say. You know, I mean, that's that alone is is indicative of how contemptuous Vince seems to be towards, you know, any generation of talent that came up after 1998. You know, because it's it's like I say, you know, you've got more wrestlers on that roster now than they've ever had. Most of them recruited from from the indie scene. Uh, where you know hot matches are very much the thing at least that's the impression you get looking from the outside in you know like there's there's probably an infinite number like Finn Balor and Elias could have a hot match you know but instead you feel like you've got to bring someone up from NXT to do it you know and then you go oh we can't do that so we'll put them in a tag match so then you don't even have your hot match that you wanted in the first place bizarre bizarre but I mean I will say we've been incredibly negative again for the second week running uh, here I don't want to just sit and moan for an hour. I will say that there's, you know, elimination as 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 problematic as the TVs have been, and as 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 pissed off and triggered as I've been since I read that ridiculous article online about Vince's supposed attitude towards this current generation of talent. I still f- was left feeling very positive after elimination chamber, um, because you know we're in a situation where. Revival are the Raw Tag Team Champions. The Usos are the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. It looks like after Asuka's the SmackDown Women's Champion. It looks like after WrestleMania, Becky's probably going to be the Raw Women's Champion, if not her, Charlotte. Um, You know, we've got Daniel Bryan as WWE Champion. 
Uh, and we're looking possibly uh, Finn Balor is the Intercontinental Champion and we're looking at a position where Seth Rollins may hopefully, touch wood, be Universal Champion after WrestleMania. Uh, and that alone, that, that roster of champions alone is, is enough to sort of make you feel excited. Um, it's a shame that the TV then comes along and demonstrates that WWE don't seem to be aware of what they could potentially have on their hands with that roster of champions. Um, and but I mean, I mean, you mentioned. I think you mentioned in passing earlier the Paul Heyman stuff on Raw this week. I've actually, I mean, obviously, I have a, a, a perhaps a, a, I'm a little bit more invested than the average fan in the Seth Rollins story this year. But I've been, I thought that I think they've been building towards that nicely to say that they they're kind of hampered by the fact that Seth can't be all that physical at the minute. I like the kind of stuff they've been doing with um, Ambrose. Isn't it funny that even in the midst of all of this uh, awfulness. Uh, you still get Ambrose and Rollins being just magnificent with each other. Um, and that story continuing to be tremendous. And I like what they've been doing with that. I like the idea that we may be headed towards some kind of closure with that relationship if Ambrose does indeed leave. Uh, and I saw an article instantly that said they, they're going to keep trying to woo Ambrose to stay. I'd be interested to see how that goes. Um, and I, I really liked not so much the first, because they did two videos, didn't they, on Raw? Not so much the first one where it was just all about Brock, but the second one in particular about why Seth was, you know, such a dangerous opponent for Brock. I really liked that video package that they did this last week on Raw, and in particular that line about risk it all to win it once. I thought that was a great little line. Um, but, uh, you know, so so that's been a, a sort of a bit of a beacon for me. You know, the Miss Shane thing is as woeful an idea as it is, at least has been written somewhat competently. It's a bit cringeworthy, um, but it's been written somewhat competently. Um, and the Kofi Kingston thing, you know, obviously I've had my issues and shared my issues with the way that it's been done and the way that I think that's another example of how WWE break their own continuity and don't seem to have much in the way of any rules with their world building. Um, but it nonetheless resulted in a, in, a, in what, to my mind, the more I've thought about it, may just be the best men's chamber we've ever seen on, on last Sunday, um, including an incredible performance from Kofi, but also is being followed through heading into Fastlane. Um, I mean, that alone is, is demonstrative of the double-edged sword that is WWE because they, they, they create these stories for themselves that they then refuse to follow through with. Um, you know, but it's it's... I mean, I, I'm a little bit more doubtful towards the idea of, of Brian ended up wrestling a part-time. I think short of, I think the biggest threat, not so much as Kurt Angle, but John Cena coming into being brought into wrestle Daniel Bryan. Um, and I, I really wouldn't be shocked to see that happen. Um, or alternatively, if these talks with Batista go through, they may decide to do that because there's history there from, from 2014. But there's also rumours that it might be Kevin Owens because of the the kind of the everyman promos they've been having him cut and he's been you know talking about you know eating junk food and stuff. So that so you know there's still a little slither of hope there. Um, what has what has become clear though, in spite of these more positive feelings for me, is that yet again um, WWE are refusing to acknowledge uh, the circumstances. Uh, it's like they're in a fight with history at this point, you know, and it's gotten to the point now where karma has robbed them of all their part timers and they're still doing what they can. Vince is still doing what he can to very dogmatically refuse to just commit to the future. Um, but at the same time, you know, as dire as the NXT stuff was this week, maybe it's leading somewhere. There was an article recently um, 
about one of the plans being had they brought in, you know, the Young Bucks and Omega and, and Hangman Page and stuff, so they'd have run an invasion-style angle. And maybe that's something they've got in mind with this. I don't know whether they've simply substituted, you know, those guys for NXT guys. Obviously, that article I read out a little a few minutes ago would seem to indicate that's not the case. But one can hope. One can hope that maybe this was done with some kind of a, of a vision because it's also worth us remembering, of course, that everything we read online, we should always read with a pinch of salt. No, of course. And, and you know, like, I, I mean, like I was I was super positive coming out of Elimination Chamber. I, I, you know, I loved the show, but I had a lot of issues with Royal Rumble. I thought it wasn't a well-booked show. It was too long. Um, you know, a lot of the matches were too long. The Women's Rumble was definitely too long. Um, you know, I had my issues with the way they booked Seth Rollins in that show, considering, you know, how much everyone wanted him to win. Uh, you know, there were an awful lot of things, um, you know, at, at that Rumble that I had issues with in terms of the modern vision of booking a pay-per-view. You know, I go and write a couple of articles for Lords of Pain where I extol the virtues of a two-hour um, in-your-house show in Final Four and a two-hour takeover in Rival from, from 2015. And lo and behold, they deliver a pay-per-view which was three hours long which kept the match times manageable, um, which used the gimmicks intelligently and to enhance the story. Everyone looked good coming out of, of both chambers, which I, I can't ever recall seeing really before. And, you know, and like I say, all of the, even the stuff that I did not give a flying fuck about going into the show, I, I, I genuinely enjoyed the Corbin Strowman thing. I enjoyed the invasion of, of McIntyre and um, yeah. and and Lashley just because like that that the match charisma vacuum, but the that, great charisma vacuum. But let, let's do. let's be fair though that match right had nothing going for it as a Strowman squash of Corbin particularly. Um, I mean that would have been an outcome, but you know I'm not sure if that does that much for anybody really. Um, at least you've got the sort of the hint of a threat with these three big guys, because God knows, right? Lashley's got no charisma, as you say. Corbin, I think he has it somewhere, but obviously this current character has not yeah, been, a, has, so has not been a success as we were saying last week. Um, McIntyre, I think has had a fantastic few months um, ever since he teamed up with Ziggler. I think he's been, he's been really good value. And I like the fact that he's walking around in the huff complaining that he, that he didn't win the rumble and, you know, saying to Triple H, I want to prove it to you and stuff like that. Um, it's a shame they couldn't see fit to give him a proper match with Dean Ambrose rather than the sort of nonsense that we got. But, you know, uh, like, so, uh, you know, the stuff that I wasn't interested in, they may be interested in, like, even like the, I would have been critical of the Ruby squash, um, you know, a few months ago. But in the context of Rousey having, you know, been made to be a bit more human by both Becky and Charlotte um, over the, previous few months um it made sense to try and you know beef her up a bit again and so i didn't mind that either and then the you know becky comes with the crowd with with crutches beats the hell out charlotte ronda, th ronda thinks it's hilarious then she does it to ronda as well right that's, that's that angle moved on for a bit and you don't have to put becky on tv for a while because she's you know suspended um and then you get the, the men's chamber as you say kofi kingston was tremendous daniel bryan one of the performances was, of his career. Yeah, like absolutely. it was a, a character masterclass, one of the best Iron Man runs you'll see in any genre of, of wrestling, any gimmick. It was it was magnificently done. Randy Orton's best performance in 
two, three years, I think, even if he was only in it for, you know, 10 minutes or something. Um, you know, Samoa Joe at the beginning was obviously Samoa Joe. Like, he's always a, always a threat. He kind of played the Umaga role, didn't he, I guess? Um, and, the interactions and, between him and Brian were magnificent. Absolutely. You know, with the, with the chops, Brian would chop him like three or four times and he'd just floor Brian with one. Like, just brilliant stuff. Well, it's like, you know, it's what you always... Um, you always extol the virtues of heel v heel, and that's why because you get the purest, Absolutely. the purest distillation of characters, I think, out of that. So yeah, I mean, fantastic. They obviously, they, they obviously did the, the extended final two, which both you and I have been cynical about before in, in Rumble terms, but I think it worked well there the way they did it. It's a bit rough around the edges at times, yeah. but I mean that's to be yeah. expected after thirty five minutes of, of, of wrestling. Um, and of course, you know, it 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 gives Brian a challenger of the month for Fastlane. Um, and so, yeah, I was very positive coming out of it. And I just thought that, that, that Raw had nothing to do with what had happened the night before. Um, you know, even even Balor, right? He just comes out and cuts the most generic babyface promo about being proud to be Intercontinental Champion. It's the same promo that everyone wins that everyone that wins that belt cuts. This championship's got a great history. I will be a fighting champion. Yeah, all right. It's it's done, right? You know that that trope, it's been done to death now. Let's just have somebody not talk about being a fighting champion, just be it, you know. And <laughs> the, the, the whole, yeah, just the, the the whole kind of um, way that the post chamber was was handled was, yeah, as we oh, as we discussed, the length was very problematic. But I think in terms of pay per view production, elimination chamber was a massive step forward. If Fastlane is like that then, you know, I'll be happy. It, it might just be that, you know, I mean, God knows, that's the first full episode of Raw I've watched, I don't know, in a long time. I can't actually recall, like, since August, maybe, the first time I've sat and watched the whole Raw um, without, any, without you know, skipping anything other than adverts. Um, and it might just be that, you know, it, you have to just revert to watch the clips on YouTube to keep up with the storylines such as they are and then concentrate on the pay-per-views and that's where your enjoyment is. And, you know, I mean, me and Doc did a podcast years ago now where we talked about the hot periods of TV. So we talked about, you know, uh, 97, you know, like 97 through 2001. Uh, we talked about the SmackDown 6 stuff. Uh, we talked about the... Um, reality era stuff which is kind of you know actually when you look at WWE history like those the real I guess hot periods of television and you know they do come in cycles and there are times when you know because god knows I wasn't watching much week-to-week tv between like 06 and 09 really like it was it was I was doing exactly that I I was I was watching youtube clips and I was watching pay-per-views and I think sometimes that's Understandably, we have to read that you're forced into that methodology because they they can't help themselves when it comes to these bloated week to week TV shows. What they can do most of the time is deliver an entertaining pay per view. Yeah, I mean, after Elimination Chamber, I, I was sort of uh, sat there like, if at this point I would be happy to get back to the sort of uh, products that we had in 2015, right? Which, uh, and I and I feel like I'm settling there. Um, 
because with 2015, you had TV that was very uh, inconsistent in its quality. It had mo- inspired moments. You know, there were episodes of, of Raw, for example, not specifically Spring to Mind, but just the general feeling I had that year. There were episodes of Raw where you're like, okay, that was a that was a really fun episode of Raw. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I sat and watched a full episode of Raw anyway, but it, more than five years ago, I would think. Um but, you know, really good episode of Raw, and then you might get rubbish for a few weeks or whatever. But the pay-per-views always seem to deliver on, on quality, on match quality, if nothing else. If we can get to a point where the pay-per-views are usually around three hours long, I think Elimination Chamber was about three hours, 15 minutes. Yeah, which, you know, which, which, I, which I, I was delighted with, I have to say. Absolutely. I mean, I remember I watched it on my laptop, and um, the because uh, there was no aftershock this last week so i watched it the following morning on my laptop and the first, obviously as my mouse hovered over it this sort of time index came up at the bottom so it was three hours 15 and immediately it put me in a good mood because i was all brilliant you know um if we could get back to a point where pay-per-views are roughly around three hours and pay-per-views generally put on a slew of great matches featuring largely contemporary talent like i would settle for that at this point that's a start you know if I think, you know, I mean, in terms of, of what I want to see happen, in terms of how I think WWE, because the thing is that the stuff that they need to do to get better, really, when you think about it, it's not that radical. You know, they just need to call the roster. They need to go back to, to a single roster. No more silly brand extension. You know, they need to, to unify championships. They need to be a meritocracy in the truest sense. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the most radical thing is ultimately, I think Vince McMahon just needs to step down. He never will. I know that. I know it's not going to happen. Uh, but until it happens, I just don't think anything's going to get better. No, and I think, I think you know, I, I think I'm probably in a similar place. And what you were saying earlier on, I forgot to say, you know, when you were talking about is there something more going on with this NXT stuff? Well, of course, you know, Triple H is the, you know, the daddy of NXT. If this, you know, ends up being some sort of takeover angle, no pun intended, um, where Triple H uses everyone that he's got from NXT that's come up, not just the new guys, but all the people that he's farmed through NXT, and he uses them as his as his army, so to speak, then yeah, that could be that could be really interesting. Um, well, this I, I, you know, go whole hog, go whole hog, and and. Because, uh, you know, they've, they've almost stumbled into that anyway when Vince came out the other week and overrode, uh, you know, decided to override uh, Stephanie and Triple H by saying, nah, Becky's suspended and we're going to have Charlotte in the, the women's match at WrestleMania after Steph and Tripp's promised Becky the, the title match. You know, like lean into it, like you say, have have because like I said earlier, you know, you've got Revival as, as tag champ, Seth as universe champ, hopefully after Mania, Finn as IC champ, you know, all products of NXT. Ultimately, you know, you've got you've got, like you say, Champer and Gargano and Black and uh, and um, Ricochet. You've got uh, EC, uh, all the, the sort of the January promotions that never seemed to actually get promoted, weirdly, uh, on there. Um, you know, Elias came from NXT, Owens came from NXT, Zayn came from NXT, like they're everywhere. Um, so lean into it, you know, and, and be like, OK, Sort of, I don't, I don't want to see authority figure versus authority figure, um, but do something where on screen you go, okay, well, 
Vince's. Do you remember back in 2011 during the summer of Punk and they actually had Triple H when when the whole thing went off the rails and they started making it a, a Triple H story rather than a CM Punk story? But there was that in-ring segment where Trips came out and was like, the board of directors have said you don't have what it takes anymore, Vince, and now I'm going to be be taken over or whatever. Um, and it's crazy when you think that that was <laughs> that was done eight years ago, uh, and yet we're still seeing Vince on TV. Um, like, you know, do that, do that. Use use the fuel of the women's tile match to do that, and just have just get rid of Vince needs to go. I mean, that's the bottom line at this point, ultimately. And until that happens. We're not going to make any progress, ever, you know. And the thing is, WWE people will go, oh, they're making more money than ever. Great for you know, good for them. Good. I'm glad they're they're meeting with all the success in the world. But they're not meeting with that success because they're doing something right. They're meeting with it because we're all doing it wrong, you know. Ultimately, and I, I'm fully aware of the fact that for as long as I keep watching, I'm just fueling the system. I get it, you know. But consider me an addict, I guess. Like I'm not going to stop watching WWE. I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan of it. You know, it's responsible for some of my most uh, sort of uh, treasured memories. It's it's certainly responsible for providing the foundation of my closest friendship in life. Like, I'm not going to stop watching it. So I totally understand that. And it's only because of people like me who are blindly loyal to the promotion, stupidly so, that they continue to meet with the success that they meet with. You know, I mean, I, people talk about casual fans all the time. I'm not entirely sure what the term actually is referenced to anymore. It gets used that much. Um but, you know, whatever the case is, for as long as we keep watching, they'll keep making money. For as long as they keep making money and Vince is in charge, we'll keep getting this 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 hot mess. And we can only look for, as, as nihilistic as it sounds, we can only look for the bright spots in it. And thankfully for me, I've got a very bright spot at the minute in, this, in Seth Rollins' Mania main event. Did you see, by the way, that there was an interesting tweet, Twitter exchange between The Revival and Seth after The Revival won the Raw Tag Team titles? Uh, and Seth was congratulated them. It might have been Dawson, I think, said you start, you, you know, thanks, but you, you know, this, you started it or something like that, which I found very interesting. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if Seth does leave as Universal Champion at WrestleMania, and that is the, the the somewhat the last we see of Brock, at least in terms of as a champion. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that creates any kind of a culture shift. You know, if maybe Seth or even Brian on SmackDown is able to step up and fill that role that Punk filled in 2011 as being someone who actually, you know, had the balls to kind of, I mean, Punk had the balls to do it when he had nothing left to lose, but have the balls to do it to, to drive some some proactive change in the company. Who knows? Well, this the, I mean, the interesting thing is that um, the amount of creative freedom they've given Brian in, the, in this most recent run implies that, you know, he has a fair bit of stories backstage and, you know, possibly, I mean, Brian and Cena are, are, are friends. Brian and Miz are friends. You, you get the sense that, that, that all of them have some influence with um, with Vince as far as these things go. We've been told all along that Seth, Dean and Roman have been knocking on Vince's door since day one they were with the company. So, yeah, and it's clear that Seth has a strong relationship with Triple H as well. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing is like Triple H, you know, obviously has has, has kind of his guys as well. It's it, it's one of those things where like we are. at, And I, I know it seems to be at this point for a really long time, which is why it gets distressing. Ooh. But we're at the very tail end of the WrestleMania 23 onwards 
model where you're not quite confident enough in your day-to-day product to to put that on the biggest stage um again going back to those pretty podcasts like it was interesting like um they were talking about wrestlemania 11 and uh and you know when you I mean like we're both quite big fans of that show but when you go back and watch it there's a celebrity involved in pretty much every match isn't there and they sort of asked it pretty like what was that about there's like you know the kid from some kid from home improvement there's like you know this one over here there's another one over there um and and, and he was like yeah well we went without celebrities for a few years and uh, and vince felt that the product had got to a point where we needed them again um, and it's a bit like that with the part-timers now, isn't it? They've not been able to let go of it, but I do think we're at the tail end of it because Lesnar is clearly, I don't know, you never know, yeah, do I you? Mean, but, but, I'm at... but you never know with Lesnar, so he may stick around, he may not, but, th- you know, there's not many more matches they can get out of, um, out of Brian, not Brian, sorry, out of uh, Shane. There's not many more they can get out of Undertaker, if any, um so yeah i mean we could be entering the light of a tunnel it's just that there's going to be times when it feels like we're not i know i know i mean the part-time thing i'm at the point with that now where i'll just believe it until i see it i won't believe it you know i mean I've, i've been burned that many times with hope that it's coming to an end um that you know whether it was wrestlemania last year wrestlemania the year before SummerSlam last year, and then he turned back up again at Hell in a Cell. You know, and now Shane looks like he's going to get a match again. And, and like, as you said last week, they're crowbarring these guys in at this point. This isn't a natural fit anymore. It's obviously not a natural fit anymore. They're having to actively write the pro the product around them. Um, so I believe that when I see it. But but like you said, I mean, ultimately everything has to end at some point. Yeah, exactly. This is the thing, isn't point. it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, the, and the use of the use of part-timers will come to an end at some point. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, again, you go back to, to that early new gen period and they're putting on matches between Jerry Lawler and Roddy Piper, which seemed as out of place then as the stuff we're going through now seems now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so hopefully, I mean, hopefully for me, ideal situation, you know, the universal championship goes to Seth at WrestleMania. Finn comes out as IC champ as well. I mean, a Monday Night Raw with Seth as Universal Champion and Finn Balor as Intercontinental Champion is, is enough to get me optimistic about 2019. Uh, hopefully they're given the time to do what they do both do best, which is just wrestle excellent matches. And that stimulates some kind of environment in the product that allows people to, to succeed a bit more. Uh, and, and we can go from there and maybe build off of that. Um, but, you know... It's it's just like you say. It just gets there. Are, I'm very aware we were very negative last week. We've been very negative this week. But it's sometimes you just need to be because it can just get to be. I mean, distressing. We've joked about using that word in the past, but it's the perfect word to use. It is distressing because you're you're a fan ultimately. Like you want to enjoy the product. You want to be able to talk excitedly about WWE. You want to be able to get excited about WrestleMania. And there's a part of me that always does, you know, just the atmosphere of that season. But it's increasingly difficult to get excited about the prospect of watching the show. Um, and one can only hope that, I mean, someone pointed out actually on Twitter, I don't know who it was on my on my timeline, that, you know, we've only got like three weeks till Fastlane. And this week they did one thing to build towards one match on that show, which was to find that Kofi was challenging the title. 
Like, that's mad. We've got three weeks to go, and you've not. It's not, and and it's not even clear what the rest of the card is going to be at this point because they wasted all that time this week. Yeah. Um, which oddly, which oddly might end up being a positive thing in a weird way. Um, but uh, you know, it feels like WrestleMania in particular is very, very up in the air, which could become a very bad thing. But at the same time, gives us the opportunity to, you know, it, it's it's it's. It feels like this is the best position heading into a WrestleMania we've been in, in for some time. And out of all this negativity, I'm not going to lose sight of the fact, as I've said in the past, that we're now in a position where the WWE title, the Universal title, and the Raw Women's title are all in a place where they're being challenged for by, well, we don't know necessarily know so much with the WWE title at the minute, but certainly the other two are being challenged for by two genuinely liked uh, you know, babyface characters that people are behind, that people are supporting, that people want to see win, vocally want to see win, are reacting to emotionally, are emoting with the storylines. Uh, and the WWE Championship could very well, it, might, it may end up going astray, but could very well end up in a similar place. Whether it's Kingston or Ali or Owens, you know, even, I mean, to be fair, even if it is someone like John Cena, the, the, the role that he's on at the minute, you know, Daniel Bryan, I'm, you know, after the performance you've put on on Sunday, I'm willing to believe that Daniel Bryan can make anybody get the support of the people at this point. Um, and that alone is exciting because it feels that alone, just with the Universal and Raw Women's titles, feels so refreshing to be in that position, to be in a position where we're looking at WrestleMania main events that aren't mired in controversy and aren't mired in discussions about whether someone should be in it or not, or whether it's the right person to be challenging or not, or whether WWE have made a mistake or not, you know, or whether it's, are we going to finally be at the end of some kind of weird experiment or not? Like it's the first time in forever in a day that that's been the case that you can get genuinely excited about those top two matches on, on the card. And like I say, that, that alone is just so refreshing to be in that position. And I don't, I don't think that it's, it's, it's by no means a coincidence that it's, it's the first WrestleMania since 2014 to not feature Roman Reigns in a, in a, in a top slot. And I say that not to knock Roman Reigns, but it's always dull when you get the same people in those top matches year in, year out. It was when they did it with Hulk Hogan. I, I think, you know, like I've said before, I've made my piece with WrestleMania. Like, um, I've learned to just let it go. Like it's not, it, it doesn't fit my vision for what I'd like um, a wrestling pay per view to be, and um, I, you know, it's maybe just not for me now, and that's and that's okay. I made my peace with it. Having said that, I'd always prefer, um, you know, I'd always prefer to to be in a position where I did care about at least, you know, at least some of the matches. And I think, as you as you say, like. Um, I, I do believe that that, that Seth Rollins for, for, and Brock Lesnar will pull out um, a, a really good and interesting match. I don't think I, I just think Seth is too much of a a creative mind and a technician for it to fall into a pattern of being you know any old Brock Lesnar match. Um, and too I do driven as well. I think yeah. I mean, if you've listened to the um... I'm gonna have my moment to gush about Seth now. If you listen to the uh, Edge and Christian podcast appearance he did. Uh, what what came off as very obvious through that was just how driven he is. Um, well, two things actually: how driven he is to succeed in in is a you know, which is funny considering the sort of the meta narrative that I've imposed on his 
on his career, uh, but but how driven he is as a performer to, to to succeed and to always move on to that next goal. But also his passion for for the the art form and his passion for the industry. You know, it's interesting. You know, you you sort of listen to the vets and they're always talking about how they went to Vince with this idea or that idea, and uh, Seth seemed to have a number of those stories himself on the podcast. Uh, it tends to go to Triple H by the sounds of it more than Vince. Um, and it just struck me that actually out of, out one thing that you could say that you could critique the contemporary generation time for is you don't often hear or it doesn't seem to be that you often hear that anymore of people sort of proactively suggesting ideas. It may be that they do and they get ignored. I don't know. But it's it's not like you hear those stories very often. But this is why the Daniel Bryan thing is exciting, because yes. he clearly has come up with this character, has pitched it and has you know evens the point of 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 um making them create for him a hemp title belt now <laughs> that isn't something that they you know that they would um do unless brian really did have their ear now there aren't many people that know more about professional wrestling than daniel bryan there are these people throughout the company now when you think about it you know, you've got william regal you got you know people like you know down nxt training people you've got people like robbie brookside um, you know, even if you take, I mean, for all of his flaws, you know, you've got all of Shawn Michaels' knowledge, you've got Triple H's knowledge, you know, so there, there are people in positions of influence in this company that know wrestling and know wrestlers. So it's not as if there's, yeah, certainly not as if there's no hope. And I do, I do, I do think that it's very easy to overreact after a couple of, of abominable episodes of television like we've had, but the pay-per-view was extremely good. If Fastlane is like that, then I'm happy. If WrestleMania, I can care about 50% of the matches, I will I will be happy with that. <laughs> um, and, and you know, the thing about WrestleMania is even when it's shit, like, you'll stay up for it, you enjoy the Twitter conversations, and, you know, and it always generates debate, which for a wrestling columnist and a wrestling podcaster is basically what we're here for. So, you know, if nothing and- else, it's an event, isn't it? It is. And, you know, as off the rails as it's gone, uh, you know, since it went to being 50 million hours long, like the first two and a half hours of WrestleMania 32, really good. First two and a half hours of WrestleMania 33, really good. First two hours of WrestleMania 34, maybe even longer than that, really good. You know, so the, the issue with WrestleMania has become how they get over that hump about three hours in. Uh you know, maybe the emotive connection that people have to the Rollins match and to the Lynch match this year uh, is the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it works. It's like what you said earlier. It's booking stories that people care about, and then you know, I, I guess I guess my concern if they if they try and make it seven hours again, my concern yeah. is if they put if they put like Lynch if they put Lynch Rousey. Um, Charlotte in the same positions they put Asuka, um, Asuka and Charlotte last year. Does that burn the crowd out? And are yeah. you then left with a crowd that doesn't care about anything for the rest of the show? That, that's I mean, that's I, a danger, isn't it? It is, but I, I'm relatively confident they wouldn't put that match in that position. It seems more so than ever now that they're committed to that being at least one of the last two matches on the card, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this actually uh, regarding, you know, um, the Seth Lesnar rivalry. Uh, 
And I can only hope that Seth does get the opportunity sometime soon to at least get physical in some regard. Uh, because it's, you know, people really wanted him to win the Royal Rumble, uh, I think. Uh, and I think there was a swell of support for him to be in this position, in this spot, and a swell of support for him to be the one to to take out Lesnar. And the way that they kind of, of wrote his character in the first few episodes of Raw this year, where he was, you know, Triple H challenged him to get the old Seth Rollins back and all that sort of stuff, made him into a into a you know something of an action hero, and that was really cool to see. But obviously he's not been able to get physical. It's very difficult to build towards any kind of a, of a pay-per-view match, let alone a WrestleMania main event, without people being able to get physical in the build-up to it, especially when one of them's a part-timer as well. And then suddenly, you know, you've got the, the situation with Lynch, which is red hot. You've got the situation with Brian and Kofi at the minute particularly, which is, which is red hot. You know, it's quite possible that once the build to WrestleMania gets going, that Finn starts to get hot again. Uh, and that... Like, because as a Seth fan, one thing that's always frustrating me is, is he constantly seems to get plagued with, you know, when he gets to a big spot and a good spot, there's always, there always seems to be something that, that overshadows it. Whether that was, you know, the John Stewart finish at SummerSlam in 2015, or whether that was Sting's injury, or whether that was uh, more recently, you know, the, the crowd reaction with the Iron Man match at Extreme Rules. It always feels like something scuppers him when he gets into that top spot. And, and I... As a Seth fan, I really want people to still care about it come the night because I'm still going to care about it. Uh, and I don't want people to forget because wrestling fans, without meaning to criticize, we can have short memories sometimes um, in terms of what we liked when it started. Uh, I just hope that Seth is able to do, they're able to do something to, to keep the, the momentum of this storyline going and to keep people caring about it because otherwise we've still got a long time to go yet. We've still got a whole month to go before we get to WrestleMania. It's going to be very difficult to keep people caring about a feud with a whole month for a whole month where all you're able to do is video packages and interviews. Well, it's always a danger with less than a few, isn't it? Ultimately. Um, um, well, I, I think, I, I think, you know, we've, uh, we've probably, um, uh, talked around this week's uh, events uh, enough for uh, for one day. Um, so you know, do catch uh, both of our columns on LOP. So this week, uh, I'm going to be exploring this idea of the road to WrestleMania and how it needs to change conceptually speaking. Uh, Plan, of course, runs a Sunday column with various little talking points. Um, that occurred to him as the week goes on. I think that's pretty fair to say, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, at the time of recording, he won't have written that. So, <laughs> so, so we don't know it's about yet, but it will be there. Um, also catch, of course, um, plans other shows. What's entertainment is dead. Um, very much more in universe and dare I say it, probably more positive as well. Um, as well as everyone else, the doc is back on a Sunday now, which is uh, obviously great news. And man on a Monday, uh, global impact, and One Nation Radio, both on Tuesday. Um, and of course, we'll be back. Oh, Imp on a Thursday, I forgot about him. And then Friday, we'll be back, um, I guess, to uh, talk about some more stuff that occurs to us. Um, hopefully, and we, hopefully, it will be a bit more positive next week. No, it, it, indeed. And, uh, you know, we may even find Mazza. This is becoming a long running storyline now. It's a bit like, you know, <laughs> I like to think of it as like Mick Foley in the desert in like early nineties WCW just walking around like, you know, forgetting who he is. Like I think that's that's Mazza on the road right now. <laughs> I would love for Mazza to forget who he is. That would be <laughs> 
That would be that would be the best present that I could ever get. Well, on that bombshell, uh, from the right side of the pond. And, oh, one, oh, well, before you sign off, one, one last thing, uh, which is by the time, I've not done it yet as we record, but by the time this goes out, the uh, this, this year's LOP Hall of Fame voting uh, will have gone live. Uh, there'll be a, a Google Doc for you to go and, and vote for your uh, nominees for this year's LOP Hall of Fame class uh, inductees. So go and get your, your votes in for that. Um, I'm glad you walked all over my outro for a good reason, because otherwise I'm, I would have been vexed. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, the LFP, <laughs> the LFP Hall of Fame is obviously fa- a fantastic thing. Um, last year's um, induction that I wrote for Gorilla Monsoon is actually one of my favourite pieces of writing I've ever done for LOP. So um, it's always a, a great time of year. So, yes, as Plan says, don't forget to vote for that um and yeah i imagine that I'll, I'll end up writing something for that again um good times well from the right side of the pond until next time we'll see you later on bye